Well, hello, everyone, and good morning. Yeah, it's oh, it's a privilege to be speaking this morning. It's actually almost been two years. Uh, my family and I were here at Prairie, and this is the first time uh, uh, I'm here speaking in chapel, and it's truly like a privilege. I'm very grateful for the invitation. Um, and wow, this being uh, a great journey since September, right? And this a series of I am and uh, I am's of God. And now, uh, in light of that, who am I? And I think that's brilliant. It has blessing. Uh, it has blessed my life in many, many different ways, and uh, I'm sure uh, yours as well. This, and we are only like in the surface, right? Like just pointing pointing out some aspects, and we know that God is like much, uh, much beyond we can even uh, completely understand, and they're so grateful that he revealed his word, so we can uh, understand a little bit, and, uh, and that is already like uh, an amazing and sufficient revelation for us. So, well, same thing happens with the topic today, I am a culture maker, or we are culture makers. And should be seen in light of who God is, because who God is actually defines who we are. Right? And we can understand a lot about who we are once the more we know Christ, the more we know God and his character, right? And and that's that's what we actually do here, to know Christ in order to make him known. And well, God is a creator. And we're made in his image, so we shouldn't expect anything different from us. We're also creators. We start from something. <laughs> we always grab something and make something else and, uh, and make something out of, uh, of this world that is around us. But again, we are because God is. So I invite you to read with me um, Matthew chapter 5, starting from verse 13 and 2.16. So that's a very well-known text. I believe all of you know this. And I love this Sermon on the Mount. It's just amazing. That was the first uh, part of Scripture that I actually memorized entirely because I just thought that was like truly uh, rich. And so let's read together. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and thrown out and trampled under foot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, well, this passage, especially the last verse, kind of explains already what is the basic point of what he's saying, right? Well, you're the light of the world. Well, let your light, in the same way that nobody would hide a light. Well, you have the light of life in you. Let it shine so people around you can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's the main point. 
and it's, it's good that he explains that. And I think that this passage has a lot to do with culture, you know? Because if we ask, okay, what is culture? Right? And lots of things come to our minds, like uh, sometimes we say, let's go to Calgary, it's a very cultural city. And usually we mean there are lots of like music going on, there are paintings, and you no, know, there's opera, there is like, so art immediately comes to our minds. But also when you see, oh, I love the culture in China, uh, what does that mean? It means like the way they speak, the way they, they dress, the way they, everyday life happens. And so culture um, is actually much bigger than, we, uh, than just arts, right? Uh, customs, arts, social institutions, achievements of a particular nation, people, uh, your behavior individually, what you believe or you don't believe, how you deal with things. All that is part of culture. And you think about uh, when you're born, you're already born, and the, the, the world's already there, right? And when you're born, we are born, there's a whole story going on already, right? So you already have those few big folks looking at you and smiling, right? You didn't choose that. <laughs> And then, depending on what culture you are, which country you are, if you start you know, making something out of this world, like, oh, I have a tongue, this funny thing, and it start making sounds, and da, da, and then suddenly one of them smiles and says, oh, da, da must do something. <laughs> like, from dad's perspective, oh, he's saying daddy. And from the baby's perspective, oh, he, something happens when I do da, da. Let me do it again, you know? And then, oh, they hug me. Dada, dada, lots of dada, you know? And then, like, your buddy from Brazil, our word is not daddy, it's papai. So usually, and then usually sometimes, like, the babies would first say mama, which is mamãe, which is mom, mother. So uh, depending on where you're, you're born, even... Words that are privileged and emphasized are different. How you're going to grow up, what you believe, what you don't believe, how you feel. Culture is all around us, right? Surrounds us. Uh, it's, we're born in this world, and then we start making something out of it, right? We get the tools you have, the things you have available to you, your sounds, and then you start creating things immediately, right? And cultivating things that are doing all right. So... Even when you think about in Genesis, right, 2.15, when God creates a man and woman, like, he says, cultivate and keep the garden, right? So the world was there, was created, now you guys cultivate and keep it. So, and then, like, start forming and reshaping the world that they find themselves in and naming things and that is already part of us, right? So they began making something out of the world. So we discover fire, create instruments, create language systems, and all we know, right? So I've been reading this book that uh, Marco lent me, which is uh, Culture Making by Andy Crouch, which is, I highly recommend. And lots of concepts I'm going to be talking today, uh, actually, it's from his book. Uh, has a very interesting uh, take on, on culture and the relationship with uh, uh, the Christians, right? C how Christians relate to culture. 
So, so he says this, culture is all these things that we were talking about, paintings, omelets, chairs, snow angels. So it is what human beings make of the world. It always bears the stamp of our creativity, our God-given desire to make something more than we were given. So that's very interesting. So in light of that, then we have we start thinking about what is the relationship between well Christians and the culture, right? Or the church and the culture. Um, well, not everyone, but lots of Christians developed a couple of a couple of postures towards culture that I would describe as unhealthy. Um, and the first one is when you only criticize or over-criticize culture. And believe me, there are lots of to be criticized, right? We know how dark the world can be, the world can be and, um, and dangerous and a lot of, you know, how, well, full of ungodly things, right? And we know that. But one of the postures that was developed was like this, I sit in my bubble, no? And then I just criticize and you know, launch all those arrows. And, and if you think about it, imagine like, okay, there's a coronavirus, right? Imagine the doctors, they're seeing all these people like falling on the ground and coughing and having all those, those problems, right? Symptoms. And then imagine the doctors inside the hospital just saying, oh, look how bad that is. They're coughing. They're like coughing blood and no, and just falling on the ground. Yeah. Look at that other guy there. Yeah. Okay. That's one posture, right? That you want to make something happen, then you go there and help them. Wake, no, stand up. Then you bring it to a hospital. Then you start treating them and start to figure out how you can help them. It's a very different. Posture. So, first thing is, yeah, one posture is criticize and that's it, right? And we don't build any trust. We don't actually are contributing, creating anything. Uh, at the very like, least, we're just like creating a culture of not creating culture or not contributing to anything. Um, another posture is, the, I would say, like the extreme would, would be consuming without even discerning. Right, which is you just consume everything your neighbors do, everyone that everyone does, and you're just doing everything that everyone does, and you're just consuming culture as it is, but not adding anything to. You're just consuming, and that's very dangerous too, right? Because we should have discernment, we should criticize, but that we shouldn't stop there, right? Uh, another thing is when you consume, you also have Another thing that sometimes happens, or a lot of times, right? When we take that culture, we're envious of that, and then we just give a little twist and put Jesus' name on it, and we make it our own, right? So like we're consuming, and then sometimes we feel bad about something else. That, but that's pretty cool, and then just make that a Christian label, and now it's ours. And again, you're just like reacting to culture. We're not actually thinking about how we can contribute to culture. Um, well, 
for those kind of Christians, there's actually a very special place that you uh, can think about moving there. It's called the Bubble Creek Canyon. Mom, where's Timmy? He's gone to be with the Lord. He's dead? No, silly. He and his family have moved to Bubble Creek Canyon. Do you dream of a day when you can drive to work without being forced to look at unchristian billboards and bumper stickers? When you can turn on the radio without hearing the electric guitar or some other horrible instrument of the devil? When you don't have to interact with bozos who have the audacity to disagree with you? Well, at Bubble Creek Canyon, your dreams can come true. Hello. Or as we like to say at Bubble Creek Canyon, heaven out. Bubble Creek Canyon is an isolated community nestled in 3,500 acres of magnificent and desirable real estate. Best of all, it's 100% heathen free. That's right, and you'll think it's the next best thing to heaven. At Bubble Creek Canyon, we use an elaborate screening process to ensure that our residents completely agree with our doctrine. No ifs, ands, or Buddhists. We're a heavily gated community with fantastic facilities, breathtaking sight lines, and Christianized amenities. We have a Christian shoe store, a Christian t-shirt store, a Christian underwear store, a Christian bank, Christian grocery, Christian car dealership, Christian pet store, Christian liquor store, and a Christian tattoo parlor. Temporary, of course. We have a nationally recognized school district and only one textbook. We also think you're gonna like our library. How'd this filth get in here? At the BCC Cinema, you can watch all the latest movies without worrying about the questionable content because we removed it all. Every home comes with a spacious backyard with plenty of room for an optional baptism pool. Hey, pin the ear on the High Priest Soldier, one of my personal favorites. And each home comes equipped with built-in Christian signage. Just try to pull this off the wall. With our combination cable and internet package, you'll have access to ES Pray In, My Heavenly Space, God Tunes, Godopedia, God Gold, God Bay, Godcast, and The Sopranos. Every morning, a copy of our community paper will be delivered to your doorstep. And our publication is committed to protecting you from all that unpalatable bad news that's always happening around the world. Our landscaping company, Holy Ground, will make sure that your front yard is always impeccably manicured. We've added a new feature this year. Around the holidays, special sensors in the streetlights detect non-nativity ornamentation and act quickly to eliminate these unsightly eyesores. Bubble Creek Canyon. If God wasn't omnipresent, he'd probably live here. <laughs> oh, I can't even tell how many times I watched that. <laughs> I would literally say, man, I have to stop and, <laughs> and keep writing this. <laughs> oh, I don't even have my favorite line there. <laughs> if God were, were not omnipresent, he would certainly live here. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> wow. Well. <laughs> uh, with, well, <laughs> both, both postures, right, of over, like criticizing and doing nothing but that, uh, consuming or even like turning thing, like Burger, Burger King and Burger King of Kings, like to your own, right, reality, 
they are all, what they have in common is that they're all both postures that uh, are a reaction to culture, right? And we should be culture makers and not culture reactors. Okay, so that's uh, an important point. So what should we do then? Well, in his book, uh, oh, before getting there, so what should we do? And you may find like, well, imagine like people in Bu Bubble Creek Canyon saying, praying, oh, dear Lord, dear Jesus, shine your light in this world and your judgment, and you know, help these people, we're desperate, and you're in the Bubble Creek Canyon, right? And Jesus probably answered, hey, read Matthew 13, right? Hey, just saying, my children, you have the light in you. You are the light of the world. So why don't you get out of under this basket and let your light shine so people can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven? Right? So that task was left to us. Right? God is changing the world through us. We're not supposed to stay home. Like even, well, Jesus didn't say, what are supposed to do now? Oh, Jerusalem, then just created a small neighborhood outside Jerusalem and stay there to the end of the days. That's what he did, not definitely what he said, right? So, well, we are not supposed to live in the Bubble Creek Canyon. We live in the real world with real people, real spiritual and physical needs, right? So Andy uh, Crouch, in his book, he suggests that instead of criticizing and consuming, we should be cultivating and creating. That's uh, what his suggestion is, and I, I totally agree. So cultivating meaning, um, imagine you have a garden, right? And then you have to cultivate that garden. Your task is not to completely destroy that garden and make a new one. Cultivate means see what is good in there, cultivate, encourage, be part of that, and find the weeds. And then weed that garden and take care of that so it can actually flourish, right? So seeing what is good in culture and cultivate that, right? And at the same time, you will see in the garden sometimes some like dead grass and things that are not, not good. And then you must create something new, right? What else can I put instead of that dead grass? Right? What kind of flower? What kind of you know, ornament or whatever? Right? So uh, how, what, what is culture needing right now? What does culture need that it can add, that it can create, that it can... Contrib contribute to, to culture, right? Um, and that's a very different way of thinking, right? And by cultivating and creating, that's when you can actually bring biblical values, moral values, right? And God's light in, to the world. You can only change or shape culture by creating more culture, not sitting in your home, right? And so, like, for artists, sometimes that can be more obvious. Right? Well, yeah, you just write your painter, you're writing songs using Christian values, and that will, you know, hopefully uh, you write 
songs enough and they get exposed enough that they start becoming part of the, the culture. Um, but actually that happens in, any, in every profession and area, right? Because again, culture is not only a piece of art. It's your habits, how you react to things, how you think, how you love, how everything, right? That is, you're changing the culture. So he suggests that we should cultivate and create through our calling. Now that's a very important thing because one thing that sometimes I think that uh, really limit Christians today is because there's a, a culture, and in my opinion it's not a biblical culture, a culture that you should do everything. And then suddenly you're overloaded, you're burned out because you're trying to do everything. And God is not calling you to do everything. We are a body. We complete each other. God is changing the world, not you or me. So you don't have to carry that weight. No, I'm here to change the world. You're part of that change, but that's not your entirely responsibility. You know what I mean? What you have to do is find your calling, listen to God's voice, get to know him, love his word, his word and find your calling. What he's called you to do, me to do, right? So, and you be called for something, some, for a few things, but not for everything, okay? And then through your calling, Andy suggested, your calling lies where grace and the cross, in the intersection of grace and cross, meaning that uh, well, God gave you gifts, knowledge, and dreams, and he put those in there, right? He created you, and he already knows the plan is, is his, not yours, not mine, right? So he created you to be part of that plan. You're his children. We are. So you find your calling, and that calling, uh, grace means, oh, first, that's where you belong. You feel that's where you belong, where you're like, I, as far as I can remember, music and teaching was always part of my life. They're both part of my life. Uh, and every time God uses me, every experience I can remember, you know, like me, a missionary in Zach with my family, uh, creating a, a Bible study in my university with some friends, and now it became a church, and uh, or here at Prairie, like music and teachings, they're always combined. Because that's my calling, right? Discipleship. So, and I can see joy in that because I love doing that. And I also see uh, that by itself is already grace. But he even says grace means that God multiply your effort, like your results that are coming from your efforts. Like, I'm doing something, and I know that I'm limited, and the results are just like, I can't describe, because that's beyond who I am, beyond what I can do. And I can see that I'm doing this with joy, I'm doing the best that I can, yet the results are like, I could never do that on my own. 
So the grace of God is upon you, what you're doing. Open the doors and closing others, and you can feel that, right? You can see that. And not necessarily means the, in numbers, like, oh, I'm, the grace of God is upon me, so I have hundreds coming to Christ. No, sometimes it's even, I see in my own life, like, I can see grace, like, wow, I said this, and someone that I was not even expecting was transformed. That's grace entirely. I could never have foreseen that. So you see the grace of God no, doing that, and, and which humbles you and keeps you in the right place, knowing that he's changing, right? He's doing it, and you're the channel. So, and he says also the intersection between grace and the cross, where the cross comes in. Well, because when you're serving through your calling, that will lead you to experience a deep connection with the world, with people, real people, who had real needs, right? And you're going to deal with that, right? You're going to have to experience that darkness and you know, help people actually go down there and do things that are not as pleasing as you, you, know, you would imagine. Like, if you imagine, uh, and that's also like, if you look at Christ, right? The grace, the healing, the serving, and then the cross, right? And also like being with people and crying with people. And so uh, your calling lies in that intersection, right? There's um, Frederick Buchner says, in, in light of this, says, your calling is found where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So when you find that hunger and people in need, that's going to be uh, not easy, right? But that's what we're called for. Abundance and suffering, they're very, they all together in our lives, right? As Christians, as we serve uh, the world and people that actually need our grace and need to know Christ and his salvation. So that's why put your focus on being Imitating Christ, know Him, be filled with His Holy Spirit, right? Find your calling, listen to His voice. Do not, like, if I was, especially in Brazil, like, I'm a, I, I always wanted to be a musician, but mus, musicians don't make much money, especially in Brazil, believe me, in other countries. Like, uh, so, like, there's this very specific future that everyone can see for a musician, you know, playing some specific places and striving. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, godly people, I'm thankful for, that, for them, um, including my, 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 my grandfather was a pastor and a great influence in my life. And he said, no, God called you to be a musician. That's... Clearly, what makes your heart sing, you no, know, and that's uh, how you like teach people. Like every time you learn something new and come and teach your sister in the piano or teach someone else, you have to follow that. You see, like you have to trust God and His plan for you. Success for Christians are very different than other people define out there, like in the world, right? Success for us is to be in the center of God's calling, God's will. 
that's how you're going to be successful. So not necessarily, and especially for artists, like imagine songwriters, right, or, or pianists or whatever, success has a very clear face. Be playing concert halls and with huge orchestras and recording many albums and being famous and, well, not for Christians. Because success is being the center of God's will for your life. So maybe for some songwriters, success means being in a church in North Territories, writing songs about what God's doing right there. And that's success. So the opposite of Bubble Creek Canyon, in my opinion, looks like Amalonga in Guatemala. So if you can see this video. Amalonga was an extremely poor village. This was a community in total poverty and alcohol addiction. Violence, ignorance, witchcraft, the occult, idol worshiping. Just 20 years ago, Almalonga was a dark and dangerous place. Suffered from poverty, violence, ignorance, and besides that, alcohol was the main problem. If you would go to Almolonga 20 years ago in the morning, 7 a.m., and walk the streets of Almolonga, you would have encountered many, many men just lying on the street because they were totally drunk. We had many jails because there were so many problems. Chief of Police Donato Santiago recalls that people were always fighting. Officials built four jails, but even they couldn't contain the problem. Overflow prisoners were routinely bused to a nearby city. Domestic violence was especially pronounced. During these dark days, the gospel did not fare well. Outside evangelists were commonly chased away with sticks or rocks, while small local house churches were also stoned. Evangelical Christians were a despised minority. On one occasion, six men shoved a gun barrel down Mariano's throat. As they began to pull the trigger, he silently petitioned the Lord for protection. When the hammer fell, nothing happened. Delivered from death, Pastor Riscaje called his small flock into prayer. It was time to break the stranglehold of violence, superstition, and poverty. As the intercessors lifted their petitions heavenward, they were filled with a supernatural faith. We told the Lord, it is not possible that we could be so insignificant when your word says we are heads and not tails. We kept fasting three or four days a week, and every Saturday we held a prayer vigil. And that was what I think opened the door. People started to be delivered, men started to be saved and come to church. It was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. A revival, I would call it. And then after uh, many signs and wonders started taking place and, and uh, a lot of mass deliverances from demonic oppression, um, churches started growing. Is it true today that when people pray cloudless skies will break kings and queens will shake Yes, it's true. And I believe it. 
1994, the last of Alma Longa's four jails closed. The remodeled building is now called the Hall of Honor. For Police Chief Santiago, these are the good times. You don't have any jails in town now? Because you don't need them? Even the town's agricultural base has come to life. For years, crop yields around Almalonga suffered from a combination of arid land and poor work habits. But as the people have turned to God, they have seen a remarkable transformation of their land and Almolonga became a fertile valley. It is so fertile, the, the land is so, so good. They produce the best vegetables. They get as many as three harvests per year. They sell their vegetables to Guatemala, south of Mexico, and El Salvador. Before the spiritual turnaround, growers were exporting four truckloads of produce a month. Now, they leave town 40 times a week. Nicknamed America's Vegetable Garden, Al Malonga's produce is of biblical proportions. You have to see them to believe. A bit is four and a half pounds. A carrot is this size. It is, it is just unbelievable. It... Look, it's bigger than my God and is the gospel powerful enough to truly impact our community. Al Malonga teaches us yes. You had a community given to idolatry, witchcraft, alcoholism, disruptive families, and now you have a community transformed. And that's a good picture to us that yes, God can do it there and He can do it in my community. God has lifted us and we need to take advantage of this opportunity. We are a generation that God is going to use in the transformation, not only of our community, but the whole world. It is a beautiful spectacle to go and see the, the, the effect of the gospel, because you, you actually can see it. And that's what we want for our communities, for our cities and for our nations. Yeah, that's for me, it's the opposite of Bobo Creek Canyon, right? There are people that, God's people, that actually said, let's do something about it, right? Let's pray, let's be filled with God's word, let's be what we're called to be. Right, imitators of Christ, let God's love throw, flow through us and start making culture, shaping culture, right? By creating more culture, right? Um, so instead of criticizing consuming, let us cultivate and create through our calling. Let us be culture makers and not culture reactors, in the words of Jesus. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? So, yeah, that's, that's it. Thank you. I think we, we have some few minutes there for questions. If you guys, I can promise have the answers, but <laughs> we have lots of awesome professors here too. Does anyone has any questions?
questions or comments or If you do, you can raise your hand and then they will bring the mic for you. Thank you, Dennis. Oh. Thanks for this um, really thought-provoking message. I would love to hear you talk about songwriting and how your approach to songwriting helps students to be culture makers and not just consumers. You talked about how sometimes Christians just sort of take the culture and tweak it a little bit and put Jesus in it. And how, how do you help students write songs that aren't just doing that? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, well, my, my uh, advisor in UFC when they're doing a master's degree, he's not a Christian, but he had this wonderful uh, story about how he sees the like, culture also like in, uh, especially in music, right? He sees as this like river that flows through history. And people all over history, they create something and put on that river. And then someone else ahead will take that and do something else and use what they learned from that person and make their own and put it back in the river. And that happens, and they have this like river of beautiful things being created, right? So, of course, we as artists, right? We like we we have chords, we have certain systems that how music works, and many different systems, right? Um, and I think what we should we can add as songwriters in this in this direction is especially what we call prosody, I call prosody in, in songwriting, which means all, all the elements in your song, melody, harmony, and rhythm, and groove, and everything collaborates to support the main message that your song is trying to convey. So, and what message is that? And that's why I think where we come in, right? Because regardless if you're doing worship songs or you're not doing worship songs, you're just out there, your, whatever subject you're talking about should be in the Christian worldview, carrying biblical values and sharing light. If you're talking about marriage, you should talk in those terms. You should uh, not necessarily saying always having the word, you know, the name of Jesus in there, right? But uh, so uh, you, you're using chords that people are using out there. But chords are chords, right? They're like colors in paintings, right? I can use yellow and blue and red, and, and I can then make, again, cultivate, take what is working, what is good, good progressions, do good chords, do good theory about how melody works, how we perceive, how we react with our emotions to it, and then cultivate what is good, and then create something new with your own voice, without trying to just be like someone else. Who, who are you as an artist? What is your story? Because there is no one like you, I guarantee. There is no one like Dennis that was born in Bauru, Sao Paulo, Brazil, that grew up and came to Canada. And I have very unique experience, and that experience should be flowing through my art. And that would be a unique voice. Yeah. Welcome.
Well, 11 a.m. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, yeah, God bless you, and yeah, have a wonderful day.